2: This is Naked M.I.P. With Mark Thompson Make it kind. Get Woke Folks, today we have more from Selma and the 56th anniversary Bridge Crossing Jubilee. Of course, we spoke with the Reverend Dr. William J. Barber the second Bishop Barber about the relationship between poverty, and voting rights, and continuing Dr. King's work. And hey, what better day to do it? It is Monday, as in Moral Monday. Here's Bishop Barber. Continuing the work that Dr. King began, to, to be clear, the civil rights movement didn't just end, it wasn't that it became unpopular. Our leaders were martyred, and Malcolm X himself was martyred barely two weeks after visiting Selma and standing with Mrs. King. And because our movement didn't end the way it should have, it should have never ended. Dr. King has left us the plan for the Poor People's Campaign and Bishop Barber has picked it up. And so we're happy to have him pick up that baton and move forward. Bishop William J. Barber, the second and Bishop Barber, without delay, we want to ask you, how did Selma, relate to Dr. King's evolution to get to the Poor People's Campaign and what influence does this historic Selma struggle have on today's Poor People's Campaign? God bless you, Bishop Barber, and welcome.
1: Well, thank you so much, Mark, and um, I, I thank the committee for giving me uh, 20 minutes, to 20 or so minutes to just speak on this, but I have to take a few of those to thank you first, for first being the one that pushed me to come to Selma and Fire Rose and Frank, Senator Frank. <clears throat> and I do want to remember some of the living people who are not there, like Reverend Jackson, uh, Andy Young, um, uh, Diane Nash, uh, Brother Lafayette. And then remember Amelia Boyington and the uh, Courageous Eight and the Dallas County Voters League that was there long before anybody else was there. Uh, Viola Wusa, James Reed, Jimmy Lee Jackson, uh, uh, John Lewis, of course, uh, uh, Brother Williams, Hosea Williams, Coretta Scott King, and yes, I'm glad you brought up Malcolm, who would come down, because I think we have to remember all of them they are speaking to us, even in the spirit, and I hope that if there's ever a day, they name that bridge that they name it something like a people's bridge and put all of the people, every name that was going across on Bloody Sundays would be named somehow after all of them. But you know, I wanna talk for a few moments about remembering the truth so that we can go forward <clears throat> right. And at the end of the Selma of Montgomery march, Dr. King explained why there was so much resistance to voting rights and why he had to take on, the movement had to take on a recently elected Democratic president and push him to do what he didn't want to do. He unpacked on the steps of the Alabama State House how the aristocracy, he called it, the Southern aristocracy and the greedy had used division for years to hold on to power so that they could elect people that would protect their corporate interests and their greatest fear that greatest fear, the greatest fear of Southern elites and the corporate interest was for the masses of Black people and masses of white people to be able to vote together to reconstruct America's economic architecture. In fact, this is what Dr. King said, and you and I have read it a thousand times, but I, it, it, we have to say it especially today. Here's what Dr. King said as they came into Montgomery and he was preaching. He said, the, the aristocracy gave... Uh, The white man, Jim Crow, and when his wrinkled stomach cried out for the food that his empty pockets could not provide, he ate Jim Crow, a psychological bird Mm -hmm. that told him no matter how bad off he was, at least he was a white man better than a black man. He ate Jim Crow, and when his undernourished children cried out for the necessities that his low wages could not provide, he showed them Jim Crow signs that, that last outpost of psychological oblivion. And he said, this is what happened when the Negro and white masses of the South threatened to unite and build a great society, a society of justice where none would prey upon the weakness of the other, a society of plenty where greed and poverty would be done away with, a society of brotherhood. And Amelia Boynton, interestingly enough, who was beat on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, was also a resident of Resurrection City, the Poor People's Can in 1968, because she understand, understood then the connection, and we must understand it now. We must also know that right after the Voting Rights Act passed in the late 60s, the Southern strategy was developed as another way for the aristocracy to block this coming together of poor black people and poor white people in a powerful voting bloc. Uh, Kevin Phillips told Richard Nixon, you you can win, the Republican Party can win, but you have to do it, and you can do it without the Negro vote, but you got to paint the Democrats as the black party. He was actually advised this, and Pat Buchanan said we have to deliberately divide the country and we'll get the better half of the division, but we must create something called positive polarization and create a new American revolution coming out of the South and the Southwest using the fears and objections raised by the civil rights movement. And together with Phillips and Pat Buchanan and and others, they actually said, we will do this deliberately. And in his book, Jonathan Schell uh, book, 1976, was written, A Time of Illusion, he said that Buchanan and Shell and Howard Dent said to Nixon, we must split the country in half. If we do, we'll get the greater half, but we must always disavow that we deliberately divided the country publicly. We can never say this is what we're doing, but we must do it. And they did do it. And the, they followed the plan. And the plan was put in place to ensure a split in the South from Maryland to New Mexico that would keep black and white people from coming together in mass and voting out the extremists. And it would allow the extremists to stay in who would cater to the the desires of the greedy and the aristocracy. And it's called the Southern strategy. And that strategy has been with us. It it was the audience that was created that Donald Trump played to. He didn't create the audience. The audience was created 50 years before him. But all of it comes out of it. Fox News, the Tea Party, birthism, Trump's MAGA movement, the insurrection we just witnessed at the Capitol. All of that comes out of the decision after Selma to continue to try to find a way to keep black and white, poor and low wealth people from coming together. And they have been vigilant, March. They have maintained focus. They have put billions of dollars into this deliberate polarization. But I also want to say today to my friends, that King's diagnosis of and and the march from Selma to Montgomery's diagnosis of America's identity crisis can actually help us move forward today. First of all, right now in this moment, as some people want to go back across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, we must understand why it is, and it is because of the possibility based on the current demographics, New data shows that a progressive future is coming and in fact, already is in the South, it just has to be organized. The South is at a moment of great demographic shifts thanks to the African-American, remigration and Latino and Asian immigration, the population of people of color in the South where one third of all poor people live in the South and one third of all poor white people live in the South but the Democrats have exploded From 2000 to 2010, the non-Hispanic white population grew at a rate of 4%, while the so-called minority population or people of color grew by 34%. In 2000, the South was 34.2% people of color. Now it's 40% people of color as of 2010. If you understand these numbers, you understand why there's so much money and effort being put in dividing people. Extremists actually fear what has happened. They understand that African-Americans have for some time now been the backbone of the progressive vote in the United States. And you should understand that the extremists that have the, 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 st- the states in the South particularly, that every voter suppression state like Alabama is also a high poverty state, not just high black poverty, high poverty, low health care, low income, uh, uh, anti-union, cutting low funding for public education. They know that, but they also know these demographics are here. That's why there was so much giddiness when the Voting Rights Act was gutted in 2013. That's why Mitch McConnell today, for 2,811 days today, refused to put a bill forward and to allow the Congress to do what the Supreme Court said it had to do, and that was reinstate the Voting Rights Act. They know, the extremists know, that places like Florida, Virginia, North Carolina, and Georgia, uh, as we saw in Georgia this year, as we saw in North Carolina 2008, are not anomalies. They recognize that in every state, we did a study this year that actually showed that in, in uh, 15 states across this uh, country, 15 states, many of them in the South, North Carolina, Georgia, uh, Alabama, Texas, uh, um, Mississippi, and others up in the Midwest, if just 1 to 22% of poor and low wealth people would organize, the people that Dr. king talked about at the end of the Selma to Montgomery march, not 30%, not 40%, but 1 to 22% in some states, it's 10 percent. Some states is one. Some states is 22. But if, but between one and 22 percent, would organize around an agenda, mobilize, organize, register, educate. They could determine and change who sits in the United States Senate, who sits in the presidency, who sits in governor's offices. Which is why we are seeing such an uptick to try to keep the Voting Rights Act from being reinstated, and why there's such a determination to divide the vote and suppress the vote. We know that every state uh, that, that, was, that was backwards in, 20, in, in 1965 is still trying to stay backwards in 2022, which is why we must remember the logic of Dr. King and the movement from Selma to Montgomery is to build a movement that connects voting rights and economic justice. Voting rights and economic justice, not just for Black people, but economic justice for poor and low wealth people, whether they be black, they be brown, they be indigenous, they be Asian, or they be white. Now, finally, we got to know the power. In this past presidential election, Mark, that it is true that the black vote did turn out and push change in Georgia and in the presidential, but there's also another truth, and that is that poor and low income voter turnout has for the last 36 years has consistently been 20% below that of higher income voters. But the report showed that this year, 55% of poor and low wealth voters voted for the Biden-Harris ticket, voted for uh, uh, people like Warnock and also because they heard them run on raising the living wage and addressing racism and addressing health care. We know that in 2016, only 29 million of poor and low wealth voters voted. In 2020, 35 million poor and low wealth voters voted. But here's what we need to know. That still left 29 million that didn't vote. The poor and low wealth voters now make up almost one third, one third of the voting population. And it is the only place that we can expand the vote and change the architectures, political, economic, architecture of the country, which is what Dr. King said, which is what the Selma to Montgomery movement said and understood then that we must understand now. That is where the power is to transform our society. Now, having said that, then we must remember the lesson of Selma is you must hold even your friends, even Democrats accountable. When, when the Selma and Montgomery march happened, the Democratic president, and the Democratic Congress and House did not want, it did not want to see uh, the, the, the march in Selma, did not want to deal with voting rights. But after the inauguration, the people marched on Selma to push even the Democratic president to do right. They said, we must hold your they, they They got him in office. They didn't vote, they made sure Barry Goldwater didn't get office, who was similar to a Trump today, but they didn't sit down after the election. And that is why right now we're seeing something that we've got to challenge that connects to Selma. The raising of the minimum wage is important to two-thirds of Americans, but corporate interests have done everything to stop it. And we and our friends need to take the side of workers. Right now, we are seeing, we saw last night are something very, very difficult to look at. Eight all-white senators who are the beneficiaries of voting rights and beneficiary of the power of the Black vote and poor white vote and minority vote, who have a majority because of that. Eight white senators voted against 45% of Black workers last night on the Friday before the anniversary of Bloody Sunday. I want you to hear this. Eight of them said, we are going to vote against 45% of black workers because 45% of black workers are poor and low income. And if a bill was passed that included $15 minimum wage, it would transform 45% of black water workers from poverty wages to a living wage. They also chose to vote against 62 million poor and low wealth voters in this country who were poor and low wealth before the pandemic and who, in fact, have been the first to to, to get the, to have to go to work, the essential workers, the first to get sick, the first to get infected, the first to go to the hospital, and the first to die. This issue about the minimum wage being a part of COVID relief is connected also to voting rights. Because what did Dr. King say, the whole point of voting rights was to enable the power of Negro masses and black white masses, the poor and low wealth people, to build the kind of power that could transform the, the, the policies of the country so that none would go hungry and none would live in poverty. But what we have just seen is a betrayal, is a betrayal uh and it's a problem and we've got to continue to push against it because we cannot sit quietly we cannot sit quietly for seven years we have debated the issue of 15 in the union for seven years in in uh, 1963 at the march on washington 57 years ago the march on washington agenda was a civil rights act and a two dollar minimum wage which would be fifteen dollars today The minimum wage ought to be 20-some dollars an hour now. But 15 was a compromise. But we watched last night. We watched watched the House vote. We watched the majority of the Black caucus in the House vote for a living wage, and then eight white senators joined 50 Republicans who will never join them on anything, voted down the House bill. We watched what the House bill said to the Senate, be taken out of the bill, thereby disallowing the first black woman, female, first black woman vice president, the power to overrule the advisory of a parliamentarian, which would have then meant they would have had to have 60 votes to overrule her overruling. We need to watch what is going on in this moment because the parliamentarian rule and the filibuster rule were the same things that were done to try to block the Voting Rights Act They were the same things used to try to block every piece of legislation that was anti-slavery and every piece of legislation after the Civil War for Reconstruction and every piece of legislation for the Civil Rights Movement. We cannot. We must make these connections, and that is why there is a direct link between the Voting Rights Act and the March from Selma to Montgomery to the Poor People's Campaign. It is interesting to me as I close, Mark, that Amelia Boyington as I said, was beat on the Edmonds-Pettis Bridge, marched from Selma to Montgomery, but she was also a resident of Resurrection City. Even after Dr. King's death, she was a part of the Poor People's Campaign. Mm -hmm. Her great nephew today is a national organizer Mm -hmm. with the Poor People's Campaign. He brought us his grandmother's book the other day and read it to his aunt's book and read it to the staff to show the direct connection between voting rights and economic justice. And we cannot let anybody off the hook. And so, Mark, as I close, we have given $6 trillion to corporations. 84% of the first CARES that went to banks and corporations. $1.2 trillion went to them without even going through the Congress. We cannot stand by. We have to fight to institute full restoration of the Voting Rights Act, and we have to institute full uh, voting reforms that ensure voting is uh, the holiday. Uh, We have to ensure same-day registration, early voting, mail-in. We have to have full restoration of the voter rights. And it can't be a voting rights act that has the name of John Lewis, but it has so many clauses and so many hidden pieces in it that the states that were once covered won't even be able to be covered again. We have to make sure that we recognize we lose a trillion dollars every year from child poverty. We lose three to four trillion dollars every year from gender inequity in inequality in wages. We have to recognize we now one military contract from Boeing could cover every state, including Alabama, that has denied the, the Affordable Care Act. And we have to know that the people who denied the voting uh, the, the uh, passing of the uh, Affordable Care Act in these southern states, particularly, they have their power because of voter suppression and lastly we must make sure that our white brothers and sisters understand that voter suppression may be targeted at black brown and indigenous people but the people who get the power they receive from voter suppression once they get in office they pass bills that hurt more white people in raw numbers than black people now it hurts more black people than the percentage but it actually hurts more white people in raw numbers. It allows people to get in office that'll put $800 billion in our military budget. When if we cut that military budget by $350 billion, we would still have more money than North Korea, Iran, Iraq, Russia, and China together. And so, Mark, we've got to have the same spirit that John Lewis had, King had, Amelia Boynton. She's on my mind because she got it. she was there in selma and she was there in resurrection city the same must be true here there must be a connection between the movement for voting rights and the movement for economic justice and nothing would be more tragic than for us to stop at this point yeah we can't stop
2: and we appreciate you for never stopping bishop Barber, and picking up where dr king left off bishop william Barber. and folks you'll hear more from bishop barber in the Legacy panel coming up uh, in about in half an hour or so. Uh, Bishop, we love you. Thank you, brother. Okay?
1: Forward together, not one step back. Not
2: one step back. No, sir. God bless you, Bishop Barber. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, subscribe, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating and please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic.